0: Right, everyone, welcome back to another edition of the Warning Track Talk podcast with your host Dave. Today we have a few topics to talk about, but nevertheless, let's get right into the madness. Starting with the Phillies optioning some players to the minor leagues. And so this was all done because of a roster freeze which could take place as soon as today on March 27th. Uh, The league's owners basically needed to ratify their agreement with the Players Association regarding different things like service time, the draft, and uh, other issues as well. So let's get into the players that were optioned down to the minors. And starting off, we have, and we probably saw this coming, Nick Williams. And now, yeah, he's a pinch hitter. Most of the time, he's a platoon guy for the Phillies, comes off the bench, and now uh, he, he struggled mightily in 2019 and in 106 at-bats. He only hit uh, 151, 196, 245. And yeah, those were his splits with two home runs and five RBIs. So his numbers were abysmal in 2019. And, and it's surprising. Looking back to Nick Williams' 2017 season, you would have never seen this player coming. And so that's why I'm so surprised by the numbers that he put up in 2019. And some people say that it could be because of the lack of time that Nick's given to actually play. But in the time that Nick's given, he hasn't shown that he's worthy of more time. And it's confusing because you think to yourself, well, maybe it's just the inconsistency of time. Maybe it's because Nick gets at bats some days and some days he doesn't. Maybe it's because he goes down to the farm leagues and then he comes back to the major leagues. And I mean, these could all be problems that maybe Nick's struggling with is being at different places and maybe his mindset is uh, just not there. Maybe his confidence is down. I mean, his confidence could could be absent because of the fact that he's jumped from the minor leagues to the major leagues and back down. And so that could be a possibility, too. But hopefully Nick Williams can find it out and hopefully contribute to the Phillies in a big way for the 2020 season if it does get underway. Um, But he also strikes out way too much. He had 43 strikeouts and 112 plate appearances in 2019. And now Nick Williams, even stretching back to 2017, he he struck out quite a bit. And you want to see Nick cut down on the strikeouts a lot because... He's the type of player that doesn't have a high on base percentage. He doesn't draw a lot of walks. So you shouldn't see him getting too deep into counts to where he would strike out a lot if he sees a 3-2 pitch that he just freezes on. He should be that guy early in the count looking to drive something into the gap because that's the type of player that Nick Williams is. And I wish that he would be able to show that, but hopefully he does in some time ahead. And, uh... Well, Nick, we're all here to support you, and hopefully you can string it together for the Phillies to prove them wrong about you. So, number two on the list of players optioned, we have Kyle Garlick is an outfielder who used to play for the Dodgers, but now plays for the Phillies. He got optioned, and well, he, he's pretty much a platoon hitter against lefties but in 48 plate appearances or yeah plate appearances I guess you could say at bats whatever um he hit 250 321 521 with 3 home runs and 6 RBIs and the stat that really stuck out to me was his 521 slugging percentage and now you could see that Kyle Garlic has some pop he can hit it to the gap 3 home runs and 6 RBIs and 48 at bats that's not bad and uh Yeah, Kyle Garlick could be that guy to be a legitimate bench piece and possibly a little bit more in the near to distant future. But I think that the reason that Nick Williams and Kyle Garlick are both being optioned is because of the fact that by the time that the season starts back up, you're going to have Andrew McCutcheon who will be ready to start the season unless, of course, something extreme happens. But I don't see that being the case. So, moving on, we have Cole Irvin, who is a depth piece, of course. He's a finesse pitcher. He does not have velocity. His fastball will probably top out at 90, 91, um, but usually sits around 88 to 90. He pitched to a 5.83 ERA and a 1.392 whip, 31 strikeouts in 41 and two-thirds innings pitched in 2019, so his numbers definitely weren't great, um, but maybe he can pitch to around a round of four ERA, a four point five ERA, uh in the twenty twenty season, but it's gonna to be tough because we're not gonna have as many innings to play probably, so uh we're gonna to have to really find out ways to get innings under these guys' belts and it's gonna be hard for the Phillies, but um, you know, we have Joe Girardi. He knows how to manage pitching and hopefully he can find a way. I believe and you guys probably believe as well in Joe Girardi. He's He's a great guy, and hopefully he can do good for the Phillies. But moving on to our fourth player that was optioned, Austin Davis. And now he's another lefty next to Cole Irvin, who uh, has a good fastball and a slider. Uh, I think he's a pitcher with potential. Now, I believe he's 27 years old, and in 2019, he pitched to a 5.04 ERA with a 1.742 whip and 62 strikeouts in 55 and a third innings pitched. I just, I have a belief in Austin Davis and his ability to get batters out. He has good stuff, and in 2018, I believe he had a slightly better season, but I it, I just, I don't know, there's something about Austin Davis and his delivery, he just has a wider delivery than most, it looks really, um. it's not a sidearm delivery, but it looks more like a three-quarter uh, sort of delivery, sort of more sidearm, I guess you could say, but um. I like the guy. He has a he has a weird quirky delivery in my eyes and uh he just has good stuff. His fastball sits at around 94-95 from what I've seen and he has good movement to his slider so Hopefully, he can learn to locate, and with the help of Brian Price, Cole Irvin and Austin Davis might be able to put a little something together and pitch to around a 4 ERA. And the reason I'm saying the 4 ERA is because I don't expect these guys to pitch to a 3 ERA, a 3.5 ERA, and if they do and they surprise me, so be it. You know, I would love that, but, um, you know, depth pieces like these guys, you know, a 4 ERA is definitely enough to expect, um, and I don't know if you guys agree, but... Um, that that is all I have for Austin Davis and Cole Irvin. Moving on, we have right-handed pitcher Reggie McLean, who uh, I believe was claimed off of waivers from Seattle. Uh, I'm not too sure, but I'm—I mean, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but um, anyway, he has an explosive fastball and could be a great addition. He has he has great velocity, and uh, I believe his fastball reached up to 96 in spring training, so he definitely has that velocity. And uh, in 2019, he didn't have the best season with a 6 ERA and a 1.667 WHIP and 11 strikeouts in 21 innings pitched. So you could see that Reggie got hit around a little bit. And uh, I'm not I'm not sure about his walks. I need to uh, check that out, which is something I probably should have done. But um, yeah. Nevertheless, 2019 season was a little bit shaky. But hopefully that one outing that he was just uh, got lit up was. Nothing to really be concerned about because it was against the Astros and everything that happened with the Astros this offseason, uh, well, it could have affected people in 2019. I mean, they've lit several teams up and uh, they could have cheated in 2019. I'm not sure if there's direct evidence to show that they hadn't. But uh, nevertheless, Reggie McClain is definitely an option um, and could be a future relief pitcher, in the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen. And so lastly, we have right-handed pitcher Edgar Garcia, who was a young hurler that, of course, needs experience. I believe he's only 23 years old. And in 2019, he pitched to a 5.77 ERA and 1.641 whip with 45 strikeouts in 39 innings pitched. And so Edgar's a guy who has that fastball and slider. Uh, I believe he has a two-seamer as well. Um, he tries to ride it in on lefties. But the thing about him is that he leaves his fastball over the plate or his slider doesn't get down enough and it just absolutely gets hammered. And I think that's where Edgar Garcia struggles. If he can keep that slider down in the dirt and he keeps that fastball, you know, at or above the belt, I think he has a little bit more success because Garcia can reach 94 miles an hour, 95. So, He has a little bit of velocity and at 23 years old, you would think he would only get better with that, you know, and of course, like I say all the time with these pitchers, we have Brian Price, which of course is is good and I don't expect the world from Brian Price even though it sounds like I do, but um, I believe he can really help a lot of guys out. That's just the bottom line for me and uh, Edgar Garcia could see some more success than he had in past years because let's face it. Uh, he'll eventually turn 24, 25, 26, and he will hit his prime. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to really hunker down and put up some good numbers for the Phillies in the future. But uh, all of these players that I mentioned are for depth, and they could have a more significant impact in the near to distant future. I mean, you see names like Kyle Garlick on there, you see Austin Davis, you see uh, Nick Williams, of course, which, you know, he struggled like I always talk about. But Kyle Garlick. I believe he can come up and he's a hitter. He can hit. And so he's a guy that the Phillies desperately will need on their bench or, well, holistically on their team if uh, they struggle on the bench this year. So we'll see if Kyle Garlick gets the call up. And like I mentioned with Austin Davis, he's a guy that has a good fastball and slider. If he can learn to locate those pitches, maybe he's better off. You know, so they are just a couple of these players that could make an impact. And then you brought in guys like Logan Forsythe. They brought in Josh Harrison, uh, different guys like that. So uh, there's definitely a ton of pieces that were brought in. You got Bud Norris, Drew Storen. So uh, just a ton of pieces that were brought in. And they needed to option someone to the minors. And it sucks for these guys that they got optioned, but it had to happen to someone. And uh, I think these group of players that got optioned, I mean, they're going to take it with a grain of salt because, well, probably not Nick Williams per se, but um, Kyle Garlic, Cole Irvin, Austin Davis, Reggie McLean, Edgar Garcia, these guys, these guys have been in the minors before and they haven't spent too much time in the majors. So it's hard to say that they would really be impacted in too much of a negative way by being optioned when they've spent time in the minors and not much in the majors, but Nevertheless, we move on to probably the headliner of today's episode, Noah Sindergaard. And now, of course, everyone knows who uh, pays attention to the NL East, or baseball rather, uh, knows that he's a starting pitcher behind Jacob deGrom in that Mets rotation, and he has a ton of talent. He throws extremely hard, he can hit, and uh, he comes into camp looking like Thor, as usual. Um, It was pretty funny. Uh, players went shirtless in camp this uh, spring training to kind of mock him, but of course it was for a joke, and uh, it was pretty funny to see. Uh, of course, it kind of shows you behind the scenes how the players sort of act and how they joke around, and keeps it really keeps things light. And so, uh, anyway, getting to the not-so-optimistic, not-so-positive part of Noah Syndergaard, he tore his UCL and needs Tommy John surgery. And uh, we all know that Tommy John requires an ample amount of time to recover. And so uh, this is going to put Noah Syndergaard on the sidelines for the entirety of the 2020 season. And he could possibly miss some time in 2021. And so, of course, this is going to impact not only the Mets, but the entire NL East. Because, well, the Mets are missing one of their better pitchers. And of course, the Phillies hit Syndergaard last year, but now things might get easier unless uh, some other pitchers step up for the Mets, like uh, like a Robert like a Robert Zellman. I, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. Is it Gazelman, Zellman? Uh, Mets fans are definitely going to hammer me on that one, and I'm sorry. But Gazellman is definitely a guy who pitches in the bullpen and has done that for the past few years, I believe. But he was a rotation piece at one time a few years ago, I believe, before he went into the bullpen, and they could potentially put him into the rotation. So we might see that happen, but it's going to be a very interesting, uh, a very interesting thing to see from the Mets and what they decide to do. And so overall, I don't think Robert Zellman is a long-term solution, but rather a quick fix. And so, moving on to the Nationals, they don't do so good against Cindergard like the Phillies do for some reason, but this could be an opportune time for them to step up and capitalize, and now, their lineup did get weaker, losing Anthony Rendon due to the Angels picking him up, but the Nationals have some bats, you know? I mean, of course, uh, Ryan Zimmerman is on the team, and he's not exactly their uh, their best hitter, but uh, he's still a guy that can hit. They have Trey Turner who can hit. They have Juan Soto who can absolutely murder the ball. They have, uh, guys like Victor Robles that are coming around again, and they're only going to get better. So they definitely have guys. And then they brought in Starling Castro to try and fill that hole, probably at third base, um, or second base, probably second actually, because you're probably going to have uh key Boom playing at third. So, um, but anyway, they also have Kurt Suzuki, I believe, and Jan Gomes. So both of those guys are going to uh, be okay for the Nationals. But overall, the Nationals still have a good offense. They still have good pitching, and they're still a great team. So definitely don't count the Nationals out, and this just increases their chances of winning some more ball games. and the Mets not doing so. But that has yet to be seen. Baseball's always interesting, and we all know that, and it's always a wild card every time we go out there for every game. So, um, the story will unfold as it pleases. But moving on to the Braves, they lost Donaldson this offseason, another team that lost a third baseman, but they have Johan Camargo, who could step up, and now he looks like he was lifting some weights this offseason. He really bulked up and could display some 20-plus home run power, and now Camargo wasn't completely a loss for the Braves last season. I believe he did okay. He wasn't the best, but um before they had Donaldson, Camargo was a decent guy for them. And I believe he can play a little bit of outfield. He's primarily a third baseman, I think. But I could be wrong. I'm I'm a Phillies podcaster. I'm not a Braves podcaster. I should know these things, but I don't, and that's where I struggle. But Camargo overall is probably going to fill in at third base, and I believe he is going to have a good offensive season when baseball starts back up again. And may- maybe Camargo right now is hitting the weight room. Maybe he's going to add more power to his bat, and maybe he's going to slug 25 home runs. Maybe he's going to, maybe he's going to hit 270, 280. Maybe he's going to slug like 500. Probably not. Let's be honest here. But he's still a good player. And I think he could do things for the Braves. And now the fact that they have Camargo instead of Donaldson does free up some salary uh, for some other players, like they signed Will Smith, Colt Hamels, you know, they brought in Felix Hernandez. So they have other guys that came in. And so uh, I definitely believe that the Braves, uh, they didn't make a bad move sticking with Johan Camargo and letting go of Donaldson. But of course, Donaldson, he's a very, very valuable piece that you really hate to miss out on. And now lastly, we have the Miami Marlins, who actually look a little bit more intimidating this season. Uh, They made some pretty legitimate additions this offseason with Corey Dickerson, Jonathan Villar, Jesus Aguilar, Matt Joyce, Francisco Cervelli, And so one of the headliners, actually they have a a lot of headliners in these additions with Corey Dickerson and Jonathan Villar. And Corey Dickerson's a guy that can hit 300 for you. He can hit 20 home runs every year. Uh, he plays good field. Uh, so he's also a Golden Glove contender every year for the Golden glove. So Corey Dickerson's a guy who might even make the All-Star game for the Marlins. You never know. He, he could do it. He's always a solid player. The only thing is that you hope Dickerson stays healthy. And I think that goes for most players, but... Um, definitely, hopefully Dickerson can stay healthy and really uh, put up some good numbers for the Marlins. But moving on, we have Jonathan VR, who of course will either play second or short for the uh, Marlins in the start of the 2020 season. And, uh, Villar actually wasn't too bad with the bat last year. Uh, he was actually pretty good. I think he hit around 240 or 245 for the Orioles last year. VR had some good power. I believe he's 28, 29 years old. Uh, so he's not old per se, but uh, he's about in the middle of his career. And uh, VR has a good arm. If you play him at shortstop, he's going to be able to get those outs for you. And uh, then you have guys like Jesus Aguilar who's going to follow VR a couple spots down in the lineup. And if he comes back and he has a bounce back season after the season that he put up uh, in 2019, then you're going to see a pretty scary Marlins lineup. I mean, think about it. You have VR leading off. You have Corey Dickerson after him. You have guys like Jesus Aguilar who's batting in the third or fourth spot, which could happen, might happen. I don't know. But um, Don Mattingly has a lot of faith in his guys and he knows what he has on the table. And I really appreciate the fact that Don Mattingly is looking at this team the way he is because this team is young. This team is hungry. They want to be able to go out there and they want to give you that opportunity to see a victory every time. So it's going to be really interesting. Aguilar might have a bounce back season. And if he does, you know, look for him to hit 250, 260 and hit 25 to 30 home runs. And I know it's hard to hit home runs in Marlins Park because of their outfield fences, but I think they brought the fences in a little bit more this year. So you might be able to see a few more home runs. We'll see what happens. But. Uh, things are looking pretty good for the Marlins and then they added Matt Joyce and now he's a guy who absolutely tore the Phillies apart I believe in 2019 so him being on the Marlins is just going to add to the challenge that the Phillies are going to have to face every time that they first the Marlins of course and uh, Matt Joyce brings some power to the table he's more of a platoon guy but nevertheless he can hit and if he's giving the, if he's given the opportunity to play almost every day, you can definitely expect 20 to 25 home runs out of him and a 250 to 260 batting average. So Joyce looks like a good pickup. And then you have Francisco Cervelli to top it off. Uh, he's pretty much at the back end of his career. He's a catcher, of course. I think he sits well behind Jorge Alfaro and can really mentor him and show him the ropes. He could show him the ways of the Cervelli, (laughs) and um, it's going to be good for Jorge, because, of course, I'm a fan of him, Jorge Alfaro had a great arm, and he's a great talent, and it sucks that the Phillies had to trade him, but we have JT Romuto, and uh, whether he gets signed to an extension, maybe we'll talk about that in a future episode, but um, yeah, Cervelli's definitely a good addition and plays a big role as a mentor in that Marlins clubhouse, and for Jorge Alfaro especially, so The Marlins are going to come out looking pretty dangerous this year, and I would assume they're going to sit anywhere from 70 to 75 wins. And so I know that's big. That's a big addition for the Marlins. But with the players they've signed, it looks like they could. And don't sleep on their pitching either, because their pitching looks good as well. I mean, of course, um, they have a lot of younger guys, but, you know, Sandy Alcantara, or however you pronounce his name, and then you have Sixto Sanchez that could come up and really make an impact. So. You have some guys. You have Jose Urena, or Urania, maybe? Uh, I butcher so many names on this podcast, but anyway, uh, he's another guy that throws absolute heat, and of course, the rivalry between him and Acuna stands out, but um, they do have some good pitching, and they have hitters now, and so this team's coming together, and you can see it, and so it's going to be very interesting, and well, the Mets are going to struggle a little bit without Syndergaard, and I see that happening now, uh, because Syndergaard is that anchor, you know, to the rotation behind Degrom, and not having him is really going to hurt the Mets. And I think all the Mets fans know that. And uh Nick Mark, you might see him make make a video on it if anyone watches Draftneck Mark Mark uh, on YouTube. But uh, he's a big Mets YouTuber and he loves the Mets. But um, yeah, Syndergaard season-ending surgery does not look good for the Mets. Uh, definitely something that. The NL East can capitalize on and uh, really beat down on the Mets, but we will see what happens. And uh, well, until next time, I hope everyone has a wonderful day and checks out some other previous episodes on the podcast. As always, I will leave some links to the uh, CDC and the WHO about the coronavirus and the happenings, the updates, everything to go along with that. So uh, yeah, I will see you all on the next episode. This has been the Warning Track Talk podcast with your host, Dave.